And can I just say, wow, the choir was outstanding today. Good stuff. And I don't just mean those who are up there singing. I mean those out here who were singing as well. Amen? It was great. And it was so good. I'm going to sit down part of the day today. I hope that's okay. Uh, but uh, I'm not trying to be hip or cool or, or anything like that. It's just it's because I need to, okay? But uh, it's, it's so wonderful to see that even when our kids are crying, that they cry in the same pitch and the same key that we sing in. Now, I don't know about other churches, but that says something about this church, amen? Even our children can cry on key, and that is just a wonderful thing to hear. And I'm serious. I love that our children are with us. Uh, I love that they're here, even if they seem to be distracted by dinosaurs and little soldiers and sweethearts. They are hearing the Word of God. Amen? And I'm grateful that you, as a church body, allows uh, and, you know, and I'm not going to say the word tolerate because we don't tolerate our little ones, do we? We joyfully embrace their being here. And so I'm grateful that we see fit the importance of such a thing, to have all the ages together. Mike has two. He wants to sell right here. He said, no, 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 no. Uh, But for the rest of us, except for Mike, this is a wonderful thing. No, no, they've got their grandbabies today. No, that's a a great thing. Hey, kiddos. But uh, go ahead and open to 3 John if if you haven't turned there already. And uh, we have been... Let's see, we studied the book of 1 John for 11 months last year. We took a little break around Christmas time as we finished 1 John. And we did a little Christology, talking about Jesus. And then the first month of this year, we talked about the church. So we got a little ecclesiology, that's the study of the church. And we talked about how we need to fine-tune this local church, right? And uh, seek to be all that God wants us to be. And then in February, we jumped right back into 2 John. And we spent four weeks in 2 John. And the plan was was for us to spend four weeks in 3 John. But over the course of this past week, that four-week series turned into five weeks. So we're going to slow it down just a little bit, and this will take us right up to Easter Sunday when we'll focus upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's uh, something we should focus on every single Sunday. It's something we do, and Christ celebrate it, whether we realize it or not. If we're living and breathing, amen, we are recognizing that Jesus saves. He was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again on the third day. Amen. And so every day really is resurrection day for us in Christ. But there are times when we set aside to specifically talk about that. And uh, we will mention some of that even today in the sermon here from 3 John. Now, if you remember 2 John, uh, 2 John was written to a lady and to her children. And we don't know specifically what her name was, who it was that it was sent to. And there are some that think that was just a generic title for the local church. And, and that's possible. But the flavor of that letter sounds a lot like the flavor of 3 John. And we know that Gaius is a man that Paul, Paul, I'm sorry. No, Paul's another, another book that John was writing to specifically. And so uh, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, okay? So give me a pass there, okay? But it was John. And so John is writing to Gaius. Now, in 2 John, as he writes, he is writing about how their hospitality was being taken advantage of by unscrupulous men. There were some who were taking advantage of the hospitality, and so deceivers were coming in trying to get an inroad into the church, that local body. And so John wrote and said, we are to be hospitable in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we give false teachers or false teaching a pass. And so that's really the big theme of 2 John. 3 John is similar, but it's slightly different. There's a different nuance to 3 John. And so what what 3 John is concerned with is that 
In, in fact, he sees here in the first four verses that we're going to look at today, as he writes to Gaius, he is telling him that he is faithfully and lovingly, lovingly, yeah, lovingly, excuse me, ministering to those who were traveling in Christ. They were traveling uh, Christians, and the thing was that Gaius didn't know them personally, but he ministered to them as if he did. And so these were real Christians who were coming. And Gaius welcomed them in with open arms and attended to them. And so John is writing to commend him for that. And he's going to contrast that with another guy in this local body that he writes to named uh, Diotrephes, who was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. In fact, Diotrephes was so antagonistic and whatever the reason is, we don't really know the cause, but we know it's from bad heart, okay? That much we do know. But he did not want to allow those traveling Christians into his home. He didn't even want others to allow those traveling Christians into their home. And he was so against this that he was seeking to expel godly Christians from this local congregation because they were doing what they were supposed to be doing in Christ. And so John's going to have some words about him a little bit later. But what this is in 3 John, and again, a brief letter. In fact, this is shorter than 2 John, even though it has more verses. There are fewer words in this letter than there were in 2 John. And so it's a very short, very direct letter, about the length of a letter that you and I might write. That's a lot longer than text, as Chuck said, right? This is about appropriate to how we would write today. And uh, it's the same, same size, but, but it's a perfect example of what we see in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And this comes, if you're familiar with the Westminster Confession, um, good on you. If not, it'd be worth Googling and taking a look at. But this is from section 25.5 of the Westminster Confession. And it says this. It says, The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. And this is just as true as when it was penned by the, what was known as the Westminster Divines. This was a council of, of, of godly pastors who came together in order to help bring about a standard for the churches in their area and in that era in which they ministered in. They were looking for a standard of truth, a standard of faith that would help to distinguish the true from the false church. And that is still needed today. Amen. And the fact that there is a mixture and an error today is still true, sadly, in so many churches. Even good churches can be subject to have a mixture of error come in. We're not uh, um, exempt from that possibility. We have to be vigilant every moment of the day, amen, to make sure that a false way doesn't come in. It's very easy for it to do. And it can happen to the best of churches. And I believe, and maybe I'm biased, but I believe this is one of the best of the churches. Amen. amen? And it's, it's, uh, it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> Let me just say that very clearly. Uh, this is just a good, loving, giving body of believers. Now, we're not perfect, and that's why January we spent time on trying to fine-tune ourselves and look for those kinks in our armor that we have to be aware of so that we can fix ourselves. We can repent and do what we're supposed to do. Amen? And again, that's something we need to do every day of the week and twice on Sundays, as Mr. Wiegand used to say in shop class back at West Orange years and years ago. And if you have Mr. Wiegand, I know I've asked that before, but I'm just curious. Any of y'all have Mr. Wiegand? Just me. Okay, I'll stop using that then. All right. It's just me. Okay, well, 3 John. Again, this is where we are. Let's look at these four verses together. I thought some of you had Mr. Wiegand back in the day. Nobody had Mr. Wiegand. JB, all right, JB's with me. All right, I'll use it at least three more times then before the month's over. All right, every day of the week, twice on Sunday. There's two. Okay, look at 3 John verses 1 through 4. I know we read this earlier, 
Let's look at these first four verses again together this morning. The elder, this is John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. And so what I want to do with our remaining time today as we introduce this letter, and and I'll give a little background over the next few Sundays as well, but I want us to focus on just three key things today. And hopefully you have an outline, you can take some notes, or if you don't, you've got a good remember, okay? And so your brain will help you to remember the way you're supposed to remember, all right? I did that on purpose. I wasn't having a seizure or a stroke just then, okay? Your remember should work well. But there's three things, and the first one is this. Look at 1 John 1, excuse me, 3 John 1 again. I said it's working well, but I can't even say 3 John this morning. 3 John verse 1, the elder to the beloved whom I love in truth. Now, John is writing to Gaius. It's someone he knows. It's someone he cares about. Now, we don't know exactly how John knows Gaius. Perhaps John uh, pastored him. He could have been one of the men that John shared Christ with and came to uh, faith under the ministry of the Apostle John. That's very likely. We can't be certain about that, however. But what we do know is that John knows him and thinks much of him. Notice the affectionate terms. The beloved, right? The beloved, he calls him. He says, I love in the truth. And what that means is, it's not that I love in the truth of Christianity. We may have, you know, some, some may interpret it that way. That's, I don't think that's accurate. What it means is in sincerity, in certainty, in fullness. He's saying that I really love you. And I think we're going to see that as we make our way through this epistle, just like he used that term in 2 John as well. We're going to see that what he's saying is that he sincerely loves him. And so what this brings me to see for our church, a way of application for us is that we need to be a church full of members, full of Christians who love each other sincerely. And this is what John writes. He says, I love you in the truth. Beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, I know we don't use that word um, in this way necessarily with everyone in the church. Um, I guess for some of us, some of us, let me rephrase that. I guess for some of you macho types, there's nothing macho about me, right? But for some of you macho types to call another guy beloved. Oh, my beloved Brooks, whom I love in the truth. That may sound very odd today, right? And that sounds awkward for us, but the heart should absolutely be there for us. And I know because of, of all of the all of the um, satanic influence in the realm of gender confusion and identity and, and, and all the hundreds of different so-called sexes and genders that, that we've created from our own foolish imaginations today. I know this makes it dangerous for us to use this language, but this is biblical, truthful language to love one another. Male and female, that's still the only genders and the only sexes, amen? And there's no reason for us to allow the world to to pull these real terms away from us. Love, beloved, to use this affectionately of other believers. It's not less manly to do that. In fact, I would dare say it's probably more manly today for us to really express how we feel. Amen? And, And I think the women here would agree. Amen, ladies? We need men to be men today, but that doesn't mean we don't express our love to, to our beloveds in our life. 
We need to be strong. We need to be courageous. In fact, part of this gender confusion today, and this is a side trail, I recognize, but part of this gender confusion, this war on gender and sexuality today has done a great disservice to manhood. They are trying to relegate the ideal of masculinity to the far reaches of the universe so there are no men that will stand up against the horrors of society today. We need men who stand on the truth today. But that doesn't mean we're not loving. That doesn't mean we can't express our love to others like John does. And, and in fact, in Matthew 22, we see the same thing where the Word of God says this. He said to them, this is Jesus speaking to His disciples, Matthew twenty two thirty seven and following, You shall love the Lord your God. And Lord, all caps, is the word Yahweh. That's God's name. He says, You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandments. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, this is Christianity 101. This is Christianity 201, 301, and beyond. This is Christianity. If we could focus on these two things and really excel and get A-pluses in these two areas, the rest of Christianity would kind of fall in, in line. Don't you believe? If we could love God with everything that we have, if we could love our neighbor as ourself, don't you think we would be on the right track? Amen? I believe it wholeheartedly. In fact, John MacArthur said in 2019 at the Shepherds Conference, he said, every problem that our church has ever, ever faced, and he's speaking of Grace Church, his own church, every problem that our church has ever faced can be tracked back to a lack of love. A lack of love. Gossip begins because of a lack of love. A bitter root develops because of a lack of love. It all comes back to the fact that I'm esteeming my rights or my entitlement above my neighbor, my brother or sister in Christ. That's a lack of love. You've got the love for yourself, but you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. So what does that look like, really? Well, when we love our neighbor as ourself, it could mean a lot of things, but, but a few things I want to just point out today. It means, firstly, that we cherish our neighbors the very same way that we cherish ourselves. Now think about it. That sounds odd, I know. We don't like to talk about how much we love ourselves, but how many of you brushed your teeth today? Okay. Now, now let's, you, you don't have to, I'm glad some of you were brave enough to raise your hand on that. The rest of you, I'm hoping you were just shy. All right, I'm hoping you really brushed your teeth today, okay? But now, don't raise your hand on this. How many of you brushed your teeth because of good hygiene or, think about it, how many of you brushed your teeth because you didn't want to have that funk breath when you talk to somebody? Okay, and if we're honest... The funk breath reason probably plays in there to some degree. Amen? Okay, we're esteeming ourselves. We're thinking about ourselves. That's not wrong. Please think about yourself enough to brush your teeth. I, I mean that. I'm in, with all sincerity, okay? Brush your teeth. That's a good thing. But why do we do what we do? We love ourselves, so we, we protect ourselves. We guard ourselves. We should at least cherish others to that same degree. Secondly, in our dealings with others... Loving our neighbors ourselves would mean that when we deal with others, we never show selfishness, irritability, peevishness, and indifference. Now, peevishness may sound like a very you know, sophisticated word, but basically, do you have pet peeves that drive you crazy when other people do them? That's peevishness. And so when we're dealing with other people, we let those things go. Now, let me just be transparent for a moment. All right. I've already said the word peevishness. Okay. So let me be real with you for a minute. The things that bother me in other people, if I'm being honest, are the things that bother me about myself. Now think about that for a moment. Think about what drives you crazy that other people do. 
It's usually the things that I've struggled with in the past or I'm struggling with now. Now, I don't want to admit it usually, right? But, but that's just the truth. The things that drive me crazy are the very things that I dislike about myself. So I need to cherish them again as much as I cherish myself. I don't throw myself under the bus because I'm bugging me, right? I try to stop bugging me. And, and, and let me give you another little clue, all right? Mike, tuck this one in your pocket. This will be good for later, okay? It's for all of us, especially us men. If you're getting on your own nerves, you're probably getting on everyone else's nerves too. Just going to leave that with you. You can use that for later, however you see fit, okay? But it's true. Here's another area. You take a genuine interest in the welfare and seek to promote their interests, their honor, and their well-being. We don't do that enough, do we? But when we do that, we're putting others first. We're loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. You never regard them with a feeling of prideful superiority, nor do you ever talk about their failings. Aren't we quick to do that? We may not necessarily brag about our accomplishments, but we are way too quick to point everyone else's shortcomings. We've got to stop. We've got to be better. We've got to do better. You never resent any wrongs they do to you, but instead they, but instead you are always ready to forgive when they offend you. That's hard. It's hard. Because what happens if you're like me, when someone offends us, what happens? Right? The shield comes up, the sword's ready, the fist is ready at least. Maybe a knee and a foot, right? A pistol, if you happen to be packing. You're ready. Please don't do that. It's a joke, bad illustration, I apologize. But we're usually on the defensive. We need to let it go. There's great theology in that show. Let it go, let it go. We'll leave it there. That's the end of the great theology. What's that called? Oh, some of you watch Disney. Okay, Frozen. Yeah, that's it. All right. Um, but that's, that's, the extent of the, that's the extent of the good theology from that. Here's another one. You always treat them as you would have them treat you. Now, how many of you love to be made fun of? <laughs> All right. Don't make fun of one another. Right? How many of you love to be embarrassed? I mean, I embarrass myself so much you might think I like it, but no. It just comes naturally, sadly. But nobody loves to be embarrassed, so don't embarrass your brother or your sister in Christ. See, these are very practical things. And so this is what love means. You always treat them as you would have them treat you. And then I guess to paraphrase, what is that? 1 Corinthians uh, 13 verses, I think it's 4 and 5 primarily. I didn't write that down, but we're always patient. We're always kind. We're never envious or boastful. We're never proud or rude. We're never self-seeking. We're not easily angered and we keep no record of their wrongs, even um, when it's done directly to us. That's love. And so, folks, churches need church members that love one another this way. Amen? This church needs church members that love one another this way. Amen? Let's strive to do that. Beloved Gaius, whom I love sincerely in the truth, truthfully, fully, deeply. That's how we should love one another. So... Someone said this too, and I never wrote down. This was months ago when I, when I saw this. In fact, I heard this. Someone, it was a sermon I was listening to. may have been Sinclair Ferguson, but I, I can't remember for sure. But he said, do you want to know that your Christian life is real? Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. Don't just do it for, for two weeks or three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for year after year after year, for years. And I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you love God and whether or not you love others as yourself. The truth 
will show itself. That's true, isn't it? That is so true. But it brings us to verse 2. He says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now this verse taken by itself has led to a lot of crazy errant teaching. This is where much of the name it and claim it and health and wealth and prosperity movement find their center right here in this one verse. But they're not looking at it in the entirety of how it's given here. They're taking it out of context. John Calvin said this. He said, our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden. We must lay upon God. But also a burden we must lay upon God. But also we are. Um, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow men that we feel their need as acutely as our own need. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. So if we truly love one another as we love ourselves, we're going to bring their needs to God before we even bring our own needs to God. Much of our prayer is pretty self-centered. And the disciple now this weekend that uh, we had, what, 20 students, I believe 19 or 20 students take part in along with, you know, about the same amount from these other churches. North Orange Baptist, Little Cypress Baptist, and First Baptist Mauriceville joined in with us. And uh, so 60, 70 some odd students heard this. They heard about getting alone with God, having a time of prayer. And, and in the midst of learning about how to pray, they learned that it's not just about I, 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 I. In fact, we have eye problems, don't we? We're always focused on ourselves and we're always trying to fix ourselves and asking for help for ourselves. But real prayer is beyond that. I mean, we should go to God about ourselves. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. But it shouldn't only be about ourselves. Amen? We should pray for other people. In fact, we should pray for them with the same fervency. That's what John says here, and that's what John Calvin said as well. And so, so look back at verse 2. Note what John prays. He's praying for Gaius that he may prosper and be in good health. Now again, we want to be prosperous and we want to have good health. And, and so we name it and we claim it. That's not what's behind what John is saying. That's not even remotely close to what he's saying. Notice the last phrase, just as your soul prospers. So he knew Gaius, he knew his heart, and he knew that he loved God, and he was walking with God, and that he was being hospitable to the other believers as they were traveling through. Even though he didn't know them personally, he was open to them. He was exemplifying Christ. And so what John says is, I want you to be in as good physical health as you are in spiritual health. I want you to be well enough that you can minister what's coming out of your soul. That's what he's saying. Not that he's going to name it and claim it and just have everything be okay. But he wants his body to be able to keep up with his spirit. And I, I, I relate to that right now. Not that I'm saying my spirit's perfect. It's not. But I have a lot more want to than my body is able to. Okay? And so I, I get this. This ministered so deeply to me this week. This is, what, this is what John is wanting. He wants his body to keep up with his spirit. He wants him to be able to continue to serve with the same power or more power as his soul is powerful. Does that make sense? And so, so think about this. And, and, and this, this hurts. Let me just be honest. This hurt. Think about this example I'm fixing to give you. If I prayed for you this week, and take this personally right now, this is for each of you, I've already 
hurt myself here with it, okay? But just, just listen. If I prayed for each of you this week and I asked God to bless you physically to the, to, to the exact same degree that you are spiritually healthy today, would your body be well? Or would your body be just bent over in agony and pain from your sickness? Think about it. And you know, you, you already know that we in America, especially, we spend so much time on our outer appearance. We, if we're honest, many of us probably spend more attention, give more attention to our outer appearance and the perception that other people see than we do to our inner soul. We pray in the morning before we get out of bed. Okay, God, help me do all my laundry list of things today. Amen. And then we go about brushing our teeth and combing our hair and, you know, brill creaming it up, whatever. We don't use brill cream anymore, I know. But, but doing whatever it takes, putting on the makeup, right, the concealer, picking out outfit after outfit. Does this make me look too fat? Does this, this jacket doesn't button? And then look, I'm showing you, this jacket doesn't button anymore. It shrank at the cleaners. That's my excuse. But we spend so much time focused on those things and we spend very little time thinking about our soul. So how would we fare? How many of you would say, you know what, Pastor Kay, um, I think my body would be sickly if we prayed that and God answered that prayer in that way today. Folks, that's a problem, isn't it? We need to remedy that. And so here's what I'd like to do. I think Christians, let's pray right now, shall we? And I just want you to pray sincerely and admit to God what He already knows, that your soul is good or it's not good. And so let's just spend a moment in prayer, shall we? Nobody looking around? So, Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that, that we would be well with you. And as we sing, it is well with my soul. I pray that would be true of each of us. That no matter what happens to our bodies physically, that our soul is good with you, O oh God. That we would exercise our spirit more than we exercise our biceps in the gym. That our daily walks would not just be about our ticker, but they would be a time and an opportunity for us to be in communion and fellowship with you so that our spirit may be nourished by that walk as well. May that be true of us, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And I pray sincerely that that is true of us. My brother's been ill. My mother's son, Tracy's brother. And he's been in a very watchful care. I wouldn't call it ICU right now, but the level of concern is, is about to that degree, I would say, in, in, in fairness. But it, it made me think. It made me think not just about his soul, but about mine, about us as a church family. Is it well with us? Is it well? And, and, and with that illustration in mind, it just, it just made me wonder, would, would there be ambulances that were being called to, um, to rush us to the ICU because we are more concerned with outward than we are with our spirit?
And so I, I pray that, that we would in all sincerity acknowledge where we may fail in that area. Amen? And that we may truly repent and focus on the things that matter. It brings us to the, verse, the third verse and the third point here today. <clears throat> Look at verses 3 and 4. John says, I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you're walking in truth. Now just notice that for a second. Your truth, as if, you know, it's his truth versus her truth. That's, really, that's not what this means. He explains it. He says, I was glad when they came and testified to your truth. That is, he's explaining it, how you are walking in truth. The ideal is the testimony of the truth. That the truth in John, excuse me, the truth in Gaius, John says, is evident for all to see. He's walking in it. It's, it's, it's real. People know it. They're experiencing the truth in him because it's coming out. That's why he's praying that Gaius will continue to be physically healthy so that people continue to see how healthy his spirit is. You get it? And he rejoiced. He says, I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you're walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children walking in the truth. Now, John uses that, my children, to speak of church family, to speak of those um, maybe he personally led to the Lord or who have come to the Lord through those churches like Ephesus or uh, Colossae or some of those other churches in that region that may have splintered off of the church at Ephesus or one of the other churches. And this is a good test for us. Some call it an infallible test. An infallible test. And I think this was um, uh, J.C. Ryle, if I recall, he said, an infallible test of godly joy is the degree to which a believer prays more earnestly for the benefit and blessing of others than for his own. And I would just add that we rejoice when, for instance, I rejoice when Gavin's blessed, when good things happen for Gavin, right? More so, or at least as much as when good things happen to me. I look at Brent and, you know, this is going well for Brent. And I sincerely, lovingly am happy and glad that this happened for Brent. And there's not a smidgen of thinking, I wish I would get that. I wish I had a raise. Or, that's just an illustration. Not asking. That's not a hint. Not dropping any hint. Don't laugh. I see you smirking out there. I don't mean that at all. Do you understand what I'm saying, though? Are we sincerely, oh, Miss Leslie got this. Leslie, I'm so happy for you. And that's it. I rejoice. Shane, oh, I rejoice. When's the last time we rejoiced for our brothers and our sisters in Christ? We're usually looking in. But church members who are joyful for each other, that church members who love one another sincerely, church members who pray for each other, and thirdly, church members who are joyful for each other. And, and here's something that I've learned, and I have to keep relearning. Um, and I confess that I have to learn this all the time. In fact, I had to relearn it yesterday. It's hard to be upset with someone when you pray for them. Okay? Even if someone's wronged you in the past, it's hard to hold a grudge against them when you're praying for them. And that hit me right between the eyes yesterday. Ran into somebody, and the first thing is, what this person did behind my back. But the right response is, Prayer, prayer. It doesn't just help them, it helps us, amen? So folks, this is raw today, I, I get that. But this is biblical Christianity. This is it. 
This is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, right? This is it. Are we loving one another like this? Do we pray for one another the way Paul, keep saying Paul, well, Paul prayed this way too, he did, but the way John prays for Gaius and for the others in this congregation. And are we joyful for one another when things happen? I, I can't help but look again at these emotive terms. Again, I was very glad, very glad. No greater joy. These are deep, feeling, passionate words to describe what he was going through. He rejoiced at the spiritual progress of Gaius. And folks, can I just close with this thought that there is, there is, not much to the, to the saying that, um, what, what is it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. I think that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I think we talked about this this past week. That is false. The gospel is words and it's powerful. They are powerful words, amen? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not just shown in how we live, but how we live can absolutely get in the way of what gospel message we present okay and so what john is saying to gaius is that the sincerity of your heart is evident in how you live you're living out what you profess to these people and words gotten back to me is what john is saying he said the the testimonies come back and so he sends third john uh with with this letter and we're going to talk about who most likely brought this letter it's fun little trail to, to chase down but he's saying i've heard that you are living your faith your truth. So here's the rub. Are we living our truth in Christ Jesus? Do we just add Sunday mornings or Wednesdays or Sunday night, whatever? I may, do we just add that to our life? Or is our walk with God really our life? And so when we get sick, when cancer strikes, our world's not shattered. Amen? Sure, we're sad. Huh. But the rock is not our physical health. The rock is who? Christ Jesus. He's our rock. And so, go to the rock, my huh, brother. Let's pray together. Rock of ages, steady and sure. The rock upon which we break ourselves. The rock that also embraces the repentant, the weak, the mild, the broken. The rock who instills life and hope and peace and even joy in the midst of the storms. Oh God, we love you. And we are ever grateful for redemption through Christ Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone. We know that there was nothing that you saw in us that warranted our saving, but you, oh God, at just the right time sent Jesus Christ, your beloved. That while we were yet wretched sinners, Christ died for us, 
the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to you, O Father God. And so, Lord, we thank you that as sure and steady and strong as you are, as hard as you are, O God, you are our anchor. You're our redeemer. You are not just the justifier of our souls, but you are the sanctifier day by day, and you are ultimately the glorifier, Lord God. That says that we are safe and secure in Jesus. And so, Father, I know that here today, there are a number of these precious people here today, God, that are struggling because they have loved ones that are suffering under the brokenness of these earthly vessels. And so, God, I pray for us today that you would flex, (laughs) that you would show yourself strong today, that you would be glorified in the brokenness as ever bit as much as you are in the wholeness, Lord God. That we would be drawn to you and the hope that is in you, O God. And I pray, Father, that even in the midst of these trials, that you would use these difficulties, God, to bring people to the realization that you are real. And yes, you're just you're also loving and merciful that people would come to you and see that there is no other way to exit this life well apart from exiting this life in Jesus Christ so we pray that you use these hardships to draw people to salvation in Jesus Christ and Lord I pray for this precious body I pray that you would bless them, that you would make your face shine upon them, Lord God. That you would give them strength, that you would give them peace, Father, and that you would give them boldness. Give us boldness that we may walk well, being worthy of the name Christian, but walking well in such a way that as we share the gospel with words, our lives do not get in the way. And we ask these things in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.